Welcome to the Soul Podcast. Great stories, tough issues, grace in the real world. Episode 6 is here, and this one takes us to the pit. Drug addiction can bring a darkness that the rest of us can hardly imagine. You know it's bad when your own mom gets a restraining order against you. And that is where Mike Bonomo found himself. And that is actually about where Mike was the first time I met him. Fast forward more than a decade, and Mike is now one of my closest friends. We pastored together for several years and saw a lot of lost souls get saved from the pit of darkness. They call Mike a hope dealer, and that is exactly what he is. Today, Mike works as an addiction and recovery specialist, and he is my go-to guy for drug and addiction questions. The story of how he got here is a long road. Drugs do a lot of damage, and healing can take a very long time. But God is faithful for the long haul. Something that always impresses me about Mike, he can look at someone living in absolute darkness and always bring light, always speak hope. Mike told me once that people who have been through drug addiction know the darkness is real. And when the light of God comes in, that light is so real and so powerful, how can you deny the reality of God? Of course, some people hide from the light, and Mike did his share, but I'll let him tell that story. But first, a quick reminder that the contest is still on. We're giving away a bunch of Through the Word and Soul Podcast gear. It's the Soul Podcast Rate, Review, Subscribe, and Share giveaway. Contest is on through December 1st, and all you gotta do is rate, review, subscribe, or share. Each one gets you a contest entry. Contest details at soulpodcast.com. Okay, time to get started, so let's get to it. You've got to hear this story. Welcome to Soul, stories of grace in the real world. Our topic for today, addiction, recovery, and the grace of God. Our guest in the studio is Mike Bonomo, certified substance abuse counselor, Christian pastor, recovering addict, and most of all, a good friend of mine. Welcome, Mike, to the studio. Hey, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Good to see you, man. My co-host to my left is Brad, the ref, Hornback. Yep, here I am. <laughs> hey, so you know what, guys? So we have four rules of engagement uh, through the show. So the first one is respect the story. Uh, we're going to talk about some serious issues here, uh, but the story's got to come first. Uh, Mike, it's your life. It's someone's life here that we're talking about. Uh, so we're going to respect the sanctity of the story. Uh, we're going to also, number two, humility before wisdom. Good. Because good questions come before good answers, and uh, we're all here to understand and grow. That's what it's all about. Uh, with grace always, number three, for every issue, for every life, there is grace. We intend to find it. And lastly, God exalted. Uh, we want to seek the Lord in every story that you tell, Mike, in, in your life, and every struggle. His word is not ours, uh, is the final word, and uh, his word is what's going to keep us grounded. So with that, let's dive in, Chris. Let's get to it. I want to hear some good stories. Mike, we've invited you here to share not just your story, but God's story in your life. But yes, give sir. us some context to, to begin, a couple of points of reference. We're talking about some serious stuff, addiction and recovery. How old were you the first time you used? Um, I believe I drank uh, for the first time at 12 years old. How old, you, how old were you when you realized that you were an addict? Uh, well, <laughs> fast forward, it took a while. Uh, probably in probably about 20 years old. Mm. Yeah. How old were you when you first knew God was real in your life? When I knew God was really real in my life, um, I would have to say 
when how old was I? Probably about twenty seven. Now, was there was there a time when you're still using, but you believe in God? God's real in your life. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, See, that's not easy for some of us to swallow that a person right. can be both a believer and an addict. Yeah, I am an example. Uh, you know, the thing is. You can be in bondage to something and knowing that Jesus is the only one that can set you free and you kind of choose to, to go in the other direction. Um, uh, it's a struggle. You know, it's 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 hard place to be. But I had to allow God to, to set me free and smash my idols, you know. Uh, I had to want him above everything else. That's the place I had to arrive at. Now, we're so. going to talk about... The recovery process. We're gonna, but first we gotta. I want to. I want you to drop us into the midst of your addiction. Give us a snapshot story. Take us to a, a place that where we can really see the reality of where you were. Um, I'm gonna take you to a place where, toward the tail end uh, of my addiction, I was strung out on meth. Uh, probably been up for several days. Um, you know, my body was full of sores, kind of like Job. Um, I was exhausted. Uh, my my legs were burning. My shins and my calves were burning. Um, I was uh, at the school, elementary school I went to as a kid. I was sleeping there. I was reduced to nothing. I was on the streets. Uh, you know, I'd lost everything. A lot of All the doors were shut on me. Mom had a restraining order against me. Things were bad. Girlfriend had ditched me. Um, and there I am. And the furthest thing from my mind really was God uh, in a sense that, you know, I wasn't seeking him. But I was desperate. I was at a place where I knew I was uh, beat down and I was in a dark, dark place. I was in psychosis. I was talking to myself. I was yelling at God. I was yelling at the devil. Um, just all kinds of crazy things going on. And I'm giving you the short version. But here I am at the school and the railroad tracks run alongside the back of the school. And they run back under the freeway, which runs behind my mom's house. Restraining order about 100 yards away from my mother's house. I'm sleeping on the streets, right? Mm -hmm. And a, a reminder of how bad things had gotten for me. Every time I looked up and saw them at the front of my mom's house, the place I'd always perceived as home, you know, I can't go home anymore. Um, that's when you know it's bad, when the person who's always there for you is just can't be there for you anymore. Yeah, and it's so, pretty far when yeah. your mom kicks you out. And so I'm there, and I'm thirsty. I'm starving. I'm dehydrated. I'm in this loop where I'm talking to myself. I'm realizing I'm getting into the psychosis, but I want I want out of the situation. Um, but I'm I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I have this cup that I had from Taco Bell, and I was holding on to it for a while. So I make my way across the schoolyard. I and hop refill the chain so you can go back in and just keep refilling. And <laughs> yeah, again and yeah. Again. I had to, I held on to it for like a week or this so. This is a paper Every cup now and we're then I would, about. Yep, Taco Bell, baby. I'd walk up in there and get a refill and just split. I had money. I had drugs in my pocket. I had money in my pocket, but I chose to be on the street and isolate mm. because I looked really bad. I sounded really bad. I couldn't hold conversations with people. I didn't want to be around anyone. Um, and I didn't trust anybody either. And I was, but I was very lonely. You know, we do that. We push people away. We isolate ourselves, and then we say, "Where is everybody?" Um, and so it's kind of a catch twenty-two. But so I, I go across the yard. I hop the fence. I get on the railroad tracks, and it's a Santa Ana winds, really windy day. You know, dry and windy. And uh, this gust of wind comes up, and it knocks the cup out of my hand, and it kind of doom, 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 tumbles down the little slope of rocks on the railroad tracks. I go reach for it. And, and I slide the rocks, make my feet slide, and I do the splits. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, this is horrible. I get up. It takes, like, every ounce of energy I have in me and more to get up. And I grab the cup, and I get back up, and I start walking again. And in this moment, I'm thinking about everything that basically sucks in my life right now, if I can say that. Um, just the, the doors shut, 
the loneliness, uh, the mental turmoil and anguish and the physical effects of the addiction and I'm strung out um, and just everything that all the why questions going through my head. Why me? Why this? Like poor me kind of stuff. I'm really wallowing in my sorrow, but I'm really not thinking about God at the moment other than like, why would God allow this to happen to me? Excuse me. And then so I'm I continue walking down the tracks and another gust of wind comes up, this bigger one. And right then and there, God, Bible, furthest thing from my mind. But right in that moment, it was like a neon sign flashing. The scripture came to mind. I believe it's Proverbs eleven twenty nine. It says, he who troubles his own house will inherit the wind and the fool will become mm-hmm. servant to the wise of heart. And so it hit me. I had troubled my own house. Mom has a restraining order. I'm there on the tracks, uh, the wind in my face. I literally inherited the wind and God literally used the wind to show me. And the fool will become servant to the wise of heart. If I wanted to get out of there, I wanted to change a life. You know, I was going to have to to do what somebody said that had what I wanted, you know, to get to where I needed to be. Yeah. And um, so in that moment, I remember I had stashed some things in my mom's backyard. I got to violate the restraining order. I go in there and I hop the, the wall. I had stashed a couple bags back there. It, it, it had rained a few times and... But I was looking for something. I was looking for a Bible. I knew I had a paperback Bible in there that I'd gotten from one of my prison terms. And um, and I find it. I'm digging for it. I find it. And it's it's soggy. The pages are sticking together, <laughs> you know, because it had rained I don't know how many times. And I did not care. I had a Bible in my hand again. And that was what I wanted. I had the Word of God in my hands. And, and it was what I needed. And so I took that Bible back to my spot. Dumped everything out of my pockets, the drugs, the paraphernalia. I think I even accidentally threw some of the money on the road tracks, you know. I was like, oh, no, I threw the money. And so I go back to my spot, and I just dug into the Word of God, and I prayed, and I read that thing from cover to cover for days. And God began to speak to me, and he, was, he had my attention, and he started pumping hope back into me again. Uh, so you're sitting down, still homeless, essentially. Yeah. But you got the Word of God. Yeah. So what spoke to you? What what made it come alive? What, what was different from before? Um, the desperation, probably, because I was really seeking him. I was mm. truly seeking him, and I really wanted to hear his voice. I had walked with him before, like I said, I'd, but I ran to the idols, and I missed what I had with him. I missed that relationship with him, and I wanted it back. And I knew he was the only thing that could satisfy me. And every word spoke to me, pumped hope into me through a lot of a lot of different passages. I probably read the whole Bible from cover to cover a few times in a few days. But one thing really stood out to me was Psalm yeah, 40. Give, give us a verse. Psalm 40, the first three verses. says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Now, can you imagine me there in that spot, sores all over my body? I hadn't changed my clothes, not know how long. I'm all strung out. I'm in psychosis. I've got a wet, soggy Bible. You know what I mean? I'm on the it's street. miry pit. And I'm there. And yeah, and I'm there in that pit, and it's saying, He has pulled me out. And I'm going, Lord, this isn't my life right now. But I felt Him speak to my heart and said, It's going to be. This is going to be. This is a promise for you. This is future. The rest yeah. of the psalm the talks about rock, the cry to, for help, mm. and that's where I was. But the first three verses, God was like, this is for you. This is what I'm going to do for you. Yeah. I love a verse when it speaks not only to where you are now, but where you're going to be. Yeah. There's something incredible about that confirmation that God gives that to you, and then as you wait upon the Lord, you see it established. He says, he will establish my steps. 
Right. Let's put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Amen. In that moment, I was just like, I, I can't take another step. <laughs> I need energy to, to walk, literally. Mm-hmm. But uh, I believed it because it was the word of God. How hard was it for you to, to swallow the uh, basically waiting patiently? Yeah, that's the part that stands out to me every time because I wasn't patient at that moment. <laughs> you wanted in- but, something instant, right? Yeah, I mean, and like, just like a typical addict wants that instant gratification, I wanted to be delivered now. Yeah. Um, but I knew better. I knew better. I knew that he was going to do a work. I'm under construction. He who began a good work and you will complete it. I knew this stuff. And so I had to do it his way, you know. Yeah. Uh, all I wanted was the word. That was all I wanted was God to speak to me through the Yeah, word. if that was the end of the story, we could just stop right now. That's it. You just So what happened? All an addict needs is a little Bible time. Happily ever after. Happily ever after. What happened to the Taco Bell cup, though? <laughs> <laughs> I think I chucked it. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, I just wanted to check. Pretty sure I chucked it. Now, I can say, I can fast forward us a little bit. We want to talk about addiction and where God's grace steps into that story. We want to move there. But first, we're talking about your story. And, and I can remember the first time I met Mike was outside the church. And I was a pastor. I had, I had just a little bit of interaction with drugs. I really didn't have an interaction with addiction. I, I had friends who messed around, but I didn't really understand the, the reality of the pit of really being sucked into it. I remember Mike walking up to the church. I was a pastor on staff, and I happened to be outside. And here was a guy who I could see desperately needed help, but I didn't know what to give him. And all I could think to offer was food, and we're setting up a food pantry, but there was there was nothing in it except for it wasn't like started yet. So all I could get my hands on was a jar of peanut butter, and it was like this big. It was it was like monster. It's like five jars of peanut size. butter. What? So like three football size. And like I just handed together. that to Mike, and I I remember him walking away and just praying. I hope I hope God does something better than I did, and I can show love. I can care, but I I know I can't fix his problem right now. But fast forward a little bit. Time went on, and Mike came back. Mike was actually with us, um, came on staff at the church. He was, uh, he was cleaning up at the church, working as the janitor for a while. And we had some fantastic fellowship there, but the, the problem didn't end there. <laughs> and uh, what, what's wrong with the easy fix concept when it comes to uh, addiction? Where does that fall short? The easy fix. Uh, there really is no easy fix. <laughs> there is no, you know, you have 12 step, you have this, you have that. Uh, model of addiction treatment and then you have God's way which is every step for the rest of your life you know that's that's the way I see it you know I'm I've been healed of a lot of things I'm currently being healed of a lot of things and I think I'm going to be healing for the rest of my life Uh, there is no I have arrived kind of a thing you know where okay I'm fixed now and that's something that we need to understand uh, probably for another episode but in treating addicts too it's nobody's getting fixed you know, we're figuring out how to set people on a new path. That's what I was trying to find. Yeah. And I think there's something interesting about addiction that really gives us an insight into the nature of sin in general. There are elements of addiction. When you see somebody who's addicted to a substance and, and needing it to get by, there, there are things that you can see very obviously that are just what we see as sin, but somebody who's dealing with pride can hide that. And somebody who's dealing with greed can kind of paint over it in a way that an addict doesn't have a way to. And something I've always appreciated about you is you've got a, a real understanding of the darkness that you came from and the light that you're called to. And those things are very real for you. Mm-hmm. And the, the genuineness of that, that, that's moving to me and that, that's powerful. And uh, the light is real. The light of God steps into your darkness and it happened right. for you. But 
take us in to understand addiction a little bit. I, I want to transition here and back up to the addiction days. Your mom had a restraining order against you. That's a pretty low point. The, the one person who is never supposed to stop believing in you gets the police to keep you away from her. Yeah. So let's go there. What was wrong fundamentally? What's happening in your addiction? Well, for me personally, um, you know, drugs are uh, an amazing and evil thing. <laughs> uh, you know, we have neurochemicals that, na- you know, naturally our body releases to control functions like serotonin is our natural mood stability uh neurochemical dopamine transmits messages to the nervous system and allows right. us to feel pleasure or euphoria as we call it that's why drugs are nicknamed dope you know um and endorphins are our natural painkillers and they produce that that feel good feeling uh and neurochemicals are replenished by eating resting and exercise none of which i was getting when i was using uh drugs you know and it's just alcohol and drugs they send the release of these chemicals in a what i call overdrive and the body responds by shutting the activity down uh that what it can naturally do and the addict ends up crashing you can call it the come down right feeling depleted depressed mm-hmm. you know what we call being burnt out and so they you're go using seeking up all those chemicals in overdrive, but you're also not doing anything that brings them back. So you end up with zero. Right. Um, you know, except the addict goes and seeks the next high to try to feel better. And so instead of replenishing the body as they should with food, sleep, et cetera, they just, they just want the dope. That's chemical dependency. And the psych, that cycle just repeats itself. And so there's that aspect going on. Like I said, my, sh- my shins and my calves were burning because I was dehydrated and I wasn't resting. I was walking everywhere, standing, walking in circles, talking to myself, not eating and drinking. It's not smart. Mm. <laughs> All right. So, so that's what's happening physically, but there's also a spiritual nature to what's happening, both in, in the desire and in the, in the moment. There's, there's a darkness to it, yeah. but there's something genuine about the desire. So in terms of addiction, what is happening spiritually? Um, well, for me personally, I was feeling empty to start with, as a lot of addicts do. Mm. So add the, that, that cycle that I was just referring to uh, that I described. Now I'm on this treadmill. I'm, I'm, I'm spinning the wheel. I'm getting nowhere. I'm in bondage to a false hope, a false comforter. I'm chasing an artificial happiness influenced by dark spirits, tuning the Holy Spirit out because I have these idols I put before him. Right. Uh, and what happens is I'm, I'm now a prisoner to this, this desperate feeling that or this idea that if I can just get feel better physically, then then and get a head change, <laughs> as like addicts like to do, then I'll be okay. But there's a deeper emptiness inside. There's a deep spiritual need that that needs to be addressed. I know it needs to be addressed. And the substances I'm abusing and behaviors I'm engaged in at the time, they're not gonna fill that emptiness. But I, they only drive me further away from what, or I should say, who I really need, leaving me more exhausted, more empty, more depleted, unfulfilled, still broken. Mm, that's good. I, the, the little bit of dabbling that I had for a little season in drugs, I get to watch some of my friends do a lot more than me. And I remember very distinctly when it really hit us that this isn't working. I remember sitting around a circle in our little drug raver house and looking around and the pot's not working anymore. And a few of them had started to mess around with harder stuff. And the only solution they came up with was, well, I guess we need more. Right. And I remember that really sticking. I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> I don't think going in the same direction and increasing the increasing the velocity is going to get us somewhere better. Yeah, that's so, the empty promise, though. Yeah. 
Yeah, you shared a quote with me earlier from Brandon Novak. Sobriety has given me everything drugs and alcohol promised me. Yeah. What does that mean to you? Uh, <laughs> it means that, you know, like I said, it's, you're being offered, being offered a false hope, a false comfort, um, and just, you know, we're chasing something that's not going to deliver. You know, it's mm. a counterfeit. And, uh, you know, the drugs and the alcohol promise this euphoric uh, feeling, which it delivers for a time, but it doesn't it doesn't fill the real void and the real need. And it definitely doesn't, it definitely doesn't take away our problems. You know, like Nick Vujicic said, you know, you could get drunk all you want and, and, and party and wake up in the morning sober with a headache and the same problems. And that's what happens. You know? Yeah. You haven't resolved anything. What do you, what do you think is the deep spiritual need that you were feeling? What were you really chasing after? Me? Uh, gosh, I was just, I was seeking peace. I was looking for peace, you know, um, some some hope, something to hope for, you know, a sense of purpose. And, you know, it. everybody's seeking that, I think. But, you know, once you get on that treadmill, you know, you no longer have purpose and you've lost your peace and you're losing hope. And the only place you think you can find it is, well, if I can just get back to feeling better again. Oh, I know how to do that. I'll go take another hit you know, do another issue, pop another pill, slam back another bottle, whatever it is. And it's just a vicious cycle. Yeah. All right. Now, none of that's coming through. Tell me how grace entered the picture. Where, where did grace meet you? The, the grace of God. I, I can see where you are now. People don't call you dope dealer anymore. They call you hope dealer. And, uh, <laughs> and I love that. It's so cool. It's <laughs> such a cool statement. And uh, at some point, some Christians stepped into the picture. Yeah. And uh, when Christians step in, sometimes we bring grace and sometimes we bring ungrace. Tell me, tell me about some people who brought grace. Grace? Yeah. Um, well, the guy that I ended up calling my sponsor, uh, Big Mike, met him the same place I met you, out front of the church, out front of refuge. And yeah. um, I, was lay- I was leaning there up against the, the glass windows, sitting on the concrete there, and I had my head down uh, on my arms. And I was really beat up, same kind of place I was described before. Mm-hmm. And I just had a really bad run in with the cops and I just was not doing well. And I was very angry um, at the world pretty much. And even kind of at the church for different reasons. And I didn't want to talk to anybody. People tried to bump me, hand me a buck or ask me, if you're okay, can I pray for you, brother? And I'd be like, yeah, whatever. But I kept my head down and look up at anybody. And then I hear this voice say, what's up, homie? And I'm like, and I'm like, oh, he's speaking my language. You know, because uh, I ran with the homies. And so I look up and this big old guy with, you know, his he's sleeved with tattoos and everything. And, and he looks kind of rough and, and rugged. And and I just he had my attention. I was like, what's up? And he's like, are you road dogging it out here? Like, what's up? You strung out? I'm like, yeah. And sparked up a conversation. And he was leading the recovery ministry at the church at the time. And I just plugged in with him. And and we rode for 11 years together until he passed away just uh, a couple of years ago now. Yeah, right. Mike Mitzner. We call him Big yeah, Mike. He's yeah. a good friend of mine, and I, I knew him for quite some time. He had his own struggles. And what really strikes me about that story is somebody who received grace passed on grace, because I know Mike's story. Other Mike. Yeah, exactly. And I know your story. And what is it about grace? Why do you think grace is so important for somebody who's in the pit right there? Um, it's extremely important because, uh, you know, uh, addicts, you know, get judged. I mean, just not for addicts and alcoholics, but anybody. You know, a lot of people out there are turned off by church religion. Um, they're not listening because they think that you just want to force your thing on them. You're, you're, 
your religious system, your, you know, join our club, whatever here, let me give you a label, you know, become a member of this or that. And then therefore you have to behave this, that, this way or that way. An addict just needs love. You know, somebody struggling, anybody trapped in sin just needs understanding. Need love. Like you said, he had been given grace, so he passed it on to me. And, um, and there was, I found out later on about four or six months later that he was afraid of me. He said, you know, when I first met you, I was, I feared you. I was afraid of you. I said, what? He said, yeah, like I didn't want to talk to you. And the Lord was going, go talk to that guy. Tap on my heart. Talk to that guy. Talk to that guy. He said, I don't want to talk to that guy, Lord. And he looks mean. He looks like he'll beat me up or something. And he's like, I just was obedient to the Lord when I went up and talked to you. You didn't see me shaking? I'm like, no. And then I just remember telling him, man, thank God. Thank you for being obedient to that call of God, because Amen. I would not be here today if yeah. it wasn't for that. I would have walked, uh, I would have got and walked away and said, no, yeah, see, everybody's the same. And he didn't show up to fix your problem. He just mm. had a conversation with you. Oh. Treat he's a human being. Yeah. Now, I think there's some other stories we could get into here, but uh, I've been signaled by our timekeeper that <laughs> we need to move on to another segment of our show. And as much as I hate to interrupt, it is time to break from our story and wrestle with the issues at hand This is a segment that we call Theology Throwdown. Now, things in Theology Throwdown are a little different here. First, I'd like to point out that this segment started as a joke that I made, (laughs) but Brad took seriously, so so we decided to try it. But if this goes goes very wrong— I'm uh, I, I blame Brad. Oh, so uh, so that said, before we start the, the we'll clock, give you grace. Uh, hey, ref, why don't you give us the rules? All right. Well, here's the deal. Okay, here's the rules. All right. First off, we want to read a verse, okay, and apply it to the question that's being asked, which we'll get to. Not a whole lot of discussion. Number two, we want to keep it brief and we want to move on. And thirdly, I actually have some soccer refereeing cards that will be used <laughs> if if needed. Okay, and some of these things uh, could be basically if you're off topic, you're out of context, uh, or if you're just boring me, we're going to move on. So is Fair everyone enough. clear? We good? All right, yes, sir. We need the question. Okay. <laughs> so we're ready to throw down. Gloves are off. Question. Question is, what does the Bible say about alcohol, drugs, and addiction? Mike? What does the Bible say? Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. This doesn't say don't ever drink, but don't get drunk and yield yourself over to it and its dangers. Anything that alters your state of mind, making you dull to God's Holy Spirit who wants to fill you with life. All right, I'm going to balance that verse out. I'm going to give you Ecclesiastes 9.7. Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. God provides gifts for man to enjoy. One of them listed clearly in the Bible is wine. And the Bible many times associates wine with joy. Psalm 104, thanks God for creating wine to gladden the heart of man. The Bible also associates too much wine with Woe, Isaiah 5.11 says, Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may run after strong drink, who tarry late into the evening as wine inflames them. Uh, Proverbs 23, 29 and 30 says, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife, complaints, needless bruises, uh, bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. In other words, do you want problems? Get drunk. The problems show up fast. All right. Agreed. I would definitely agree there. But there's also a danger, I'd say, with the pendulum swing, creating rules that God did not. That is legalism. Uh, mm. Acts 10, 15. I'm going to go there. Do not call something unclean if God has made it whoa, clean. Whoa, 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 Chris. Time out. <laughs> we have a yellow card. Out of context. <laughs> Acts 10 is clearly referring to uh, the Gentiles, not alcohol. Okay. All right. I'll concede that one. And uh, verse withdrawn. 
But I'm going to counter <laughs> that one. And uh, I'll bring in Colossians 2.20. Colossians 2.20. Listen to this one. Why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Mm. These rules are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So the key on this one is that rules don't set you free from sin. Right. It's Jesus. That's why Ephesians 5.18 doesn't just say don't get drunk. It, set, it replaces it with being filled with the Holy Spirit. All right. So the balance uh, is in 1 Corinthians 10.23. I have the right to do anything you say, Paul says, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. Mm, that's good. I'm going to add to that Galatians 5.13. You were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Hmm. Yeah, you've got Amen. some freedom. You're, separate, you're apart from the law. You're following Jesus, but don't abuse it. And part of that serving others is being careful not to stumble someone. And they're with your freedom and stumbling them into something they shouldn't be doing. Right. Okay, hey, so we've talked a lot about alcohol with those verses. Let's move on to the topic of drugs. Uh, what does the Bible say about drugs? Drug use um, and its abuse. Okay, I'm going to start with the uh, the go-to for those who like to say that the Bible supports drug use, particularly marijuana smokers. Every seed-bearing plant for food back in Genesis 1, I'll just say that if that's an endorsement for pot or for other grown drugs, it is equally endorsement of poison consumption. Poison, poison grows on plants. Just because <laughs> yeah. something grows on a plant doesn't mean that it's okay to eat. Some wisdom is required. Yeah, if I can throw something in here unscripted, uh, you know, I heard it said once, you know, petroleum's a natural element too, but you're not going to catch me at the gas pump, you know, guzzling the, <laughs> the gas either. <laughs> no, you thank know. you. But uh, in Galatians chapter 5, it lists the works of the flesh, as it were, and it uses the word witchcraft or sorcery. And in the Greek, it's the word pharmakia, if I'm saying that right, which is associated with the use of mind-altering substances as a seduction into idolatry. Yeah. Okay, what about addiction, though? What's it have to say on addiction? Well, the passages that warn against alcohol are always about excess and habit. When Mike shared in Proverbs 29 about the one who has woe and sorrow, it's talking about lingering over wine, going to sample bowls of mixed drinks, and it finishes, when will I wake up so I can find another drink? That's a pretty good picture of an alcoholic. Yeah. Second uh, Peter 2.19, Peter said, Promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. Addiction mm. is slavery. It overcomes you. And uh, being trapped in addiction is dark. It's alone. It's full of shame. And there's a battle over your soul. And you can feel it when you're an addict. Yeah. Now, interesting, the Bible speaks of both sin and law as forms of slavery. Being under legalism is another slavery. But he who the Son sets free is free indeed. We are called to freedom. Amen. Jesus also said uh, to the Samaritan woman at the well, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. And you can tag that phrase, this water, onto just about anything. You know, you try this, you pursue this, you chase this, you're going to be thirsty again. Anything yeah. of the flesh, right? Right. Yeah. I think we're, do we, are, we, are you going to ring the bell I, on us? Let, let me close it up, though, with Zachary 9.12. Zechariah. Zachariah, Zachary. <laughs> I'm going to give you a card if you call I just, Zachary. I just we got, we come out with random <laughs> books. I make up my own sometimes. Uh, return to your refuge, you prisoner of hope. Mm. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. 
Yes. And I just like that because we just we're giving verses on addiction, but here we are. Return to your refuge. You know, seek the Lord, find God, and He's going to yeah. take care of you and comfort you, and you have hope in Him. Mm. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah, prisoner hope that actually gives us a fantastic transition to uh, where we want to finish up here. We've got a few more minutes, and I want to talk about hope. And I want to talk about healing. We uh, we dove into the pit with you, Mike, and uh, the darkness. But give us some hope here. Bring the topic back. Let's uh, let's talk about your hope. You once were a dope dealer. That was your identity. Now your reputation is hope dealer. I've heard a lot of people call you that, and uh, <laughs> and I love it. Hope dealer, gospel addict. That's who you are. So, uh, what's the key to healing and to to holding on? What what helps you hold on to hope? Uh, for me, uh, just the Word of God. I mean, it's there's a, a scripture. One of my favorite scriptures, uh, actually, is in Psalm 119. It says, "Remember your word to your servant, mm-hmm. upon which you have caused me to hope." Uh, it, when I was in that place behind the school, and I was all tore up and had my little soggy Bible, I read, "You know, this is my comfort in my affliction. Your word has given me life." I may have felt next to death, but I knew I was alive in Christ, and that gave me hope. Yeah. I had hope because I knew Jesus. The, and speaking of Jesus, the, I love John 1, and I know you do too. Amen. That light came into the world and, and that Jesus was life, and that life was the light of men. Amen. Yet some loved their darkness, and so mm. they hid from the light. Mm. And I remember having a conversation with you. You and I actually taught through John together. And I remember as we talked through the book of John how real that light was in your life. Because mm-hmm. when you know the darkness, you really know the light when it comes. Yeah. Tell us about the transition from dark to light. Take us into a, take us into a story. Now, there's a story that I know that actually happened at church. This is one of my favorites, but I'm going to let you tell it. <laughs> okay. Uh, <clears throat> so I was working at the church, like Chris said, and uh, I was a janitor, and I had a little janitor's closet there. It was like kind of like my quote-unquote office and uh, I'd be in there and, you know, but one day, one day I was in there and I was high, you know, I had relapsed after 11 months. I'm working at the church and I relapse and I'm on meth and yeah. I'm in there and I'm at the church and it's And I had no hours. idea, by the way. Yeah. And I don't think anybody else did. None of us had enough connection with it to recognize what was going on. Yeah. There were a couple of people that kind of had a, a clue that something was up with me yeah. when I changed the behavior. But there I am. It's after hours. It's like the women's Bible study is just like wrapping up or about to get started or whatever. And a uh, little door from one side of the janitor's closet cracked open to a little space, um, a little like entryway to the women's restroom. And I would have that cracked open and the mop bucket there saved no, I was cleaning the women's restroom, don't come in. And uh, But I had the light in my little office off. And I was had a fan pointed at my face because I couldn't stop sweating, you know. And so strung out on meth, I was high as a kite. And then Joy, our pastor's wife, Joy, Cracks the little door open. She comes in and the door just kind of like that. And a little light comes in. She goes, Mike, what are you doing in the dark? And I just mm-hmm. went, oh, my goodness. There's She doesn't know how much depth of meaning there is to that question right now. And I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke directly to me. Yeah, what are you doing in the dark when I have given you light and I have shined my light on you and I've called you out of darkness into my marvelous light? And this started, that question chased me down over the next four months that I ran uh, in relapse mode and I couldn't escape it. And that does it for episode six. And I am so sorry to cut off that conversation right there. Oh man. 
Something happened to the audio and we lost the last minute or so of the recording. But not to fret, Mike Bonomo will be back in our next two episodes and we'll bring back Rob and Colleen Myers as we talk more about recovery, Mike's journey from dope dealer to hope dealer, and about the power of God's Word and the Holy Spirit along that road. We'll also get some phenomenal stories from Rob and Colleen as they share their adventures inviting a bunch of rave kids to family camp up in the mountains. That is truly one of my favorite ministries, and they always have the best stories. Those are coming up in parts three and four of this series, which are episodes seven and eight this season. I also want to throw in a follow-up from last week with a plug for Robin Colleen's newsletter and new book. If you like good ministry stories, you got to get their newsletter. Seriously, my favorite newsletter, because the stories of grace are awesome every time. You can get it at raveoutreach.com, R-A-V-E outreach.com. And follow them on Facebook so you can pray while they're out at the raves. And Colleen just published a book. It's called Smack Dab, as in Smack Dab in the Center of God's Will. It's on Amazon or at their website, again, raveoutreach.com. But now, as promised, we have a contest. We need your help to get Soul featured on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. So we're running a contest and giving away a bunch of awesome Through the Word and Soul podcast gear. Basically, we want to reach more people with these great stories. We don't sell anything, so this is all about outreach. And here's how it works. The first eight weeks on a podcast launch are critical because that's the window that Apple observes to feature a podcast in the new and noteworthy section, which is a big deal and generally means a lot more outreach. Now, what we need to get featured are four things. We need you to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Two R's, two S's. On Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, just subscribe because they don't have ratings or reviews. So, the contest is on now through December 1st. And we're giving away some great gear, including an exclusive athletic jacket embroidered with the Through the Word logo. To enter the contest, all you got to do is rate, review, subscribe, and share. You can do just one or all four. Each one is an entry. Then send us your name and email on the contest form on our website at soulpodcast.com. S-O-L-E podcast.com. No purchase necessary because we don't sell anything. And that's it. New episode premieres every Friday. You can subscribe and get all our episodes wherever great podcasts are found. And check our YouTube channel to see it in the studio. Videos coming soon. You can also find every episode at soulpodcast.com. That's S-O-L-E podcast.com. The Soul Podcast is a production of Through the Word. If you like this podcast, you're going to love Through the Word. With audio guides for every chapter in the Bible, join us for an epic journey through the entire Bible and understand the Bible in just 10 minutes a day. Get the app free at throughtheword.org. The Soul Podcast is listener supported. You can donate on the throughtheword.org website. All gifts tax deductible. Our producer is Brad Hornback. Audio production by Kira Joy. Editing by yours truly. Video production by Michael Kincaid and Daniel Torres. On behalf of the whole team at The Soul Podcast, thanks for joining us. You heard the story. Now go talk about it. Share a post. Tell a friend. Start a conversation. We'll see you in the next one. You gotta hear that story.